Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I am your host, Sean Needham, and I am streaming live from the Spokane Airport today. And I'm super excited to have Dr. Michael Turner on today. He is going to be discussing a topic we talk about often with testosterone and how to increase testosterone, but he is going to be discussing how to increase testosterone naturally without actually supplementing testosterone, which you have to get a prescription for. So um, I'm super excited to have him on. You want to tune in for the entire episode because there's going to be some tips where no matter your age, what you can do to increase your um, free testosterone. So Dr. Michael Turner, without further ado, welcome to our show. Thank you, Sean. I'm very glad to be here. Absolutely. This is exciting. So tell us a little bit. Um, you have some ideas. Um, you, you, you have helped thousands of patients increase their testosterone levels, and you have some ideas about how we can do that naturally without actually going on testosterone. Can you, can you um, um, lead us into that, please? Absolutely. Would love to. Well, first, a little bit about my background. Um, you know, I'm an MD, I'm classically trained. I went to Harvard Medical School. I trained at the Mayo Clinic. Um, and so I've been working now for about 12 years, but along with all that training, I always had an interest in health and wellness. I always had an interest in fitness. I always had an interest in eating healthy supplements, you know, protein, uh, you know, high intensity interval training, green smoothies, you know, <laughs> room yoga, like all of this stuff. Right. So my personal life has been this quest to bring together whatever it is needed to give the best solution to my patients and ultimately to myself, right? I mean, I try to live and model a healthy lifestyle and be as healthy as I can be. So I've asked my own questions over time. What's my testosterone level, right? How do I increase it naturally? Um, how do I eat or exercise or sleep in a way that will boost my own testosterone levels? And why would that even be important for myself, right? Starting there and then branching out, of course, to take good care of patients all over the country. So it's an outgrowth of my passions and interests in combining those two worlds and a lot of interest. Some people describe me as like almost more of a naturopathic doctor than a medical doctor. I mean, I am an MD, but I have a big foot in the door of supplements and strategies that are natural to get people healthy. So I'm really excited to share that. I also have a background as a school teacher. Oh, but go ahead. Oh, wow. Well, now that's cool. You know, I'm learning. One thing I love about these podcasts, Dr. Turner, is that I, I learn a lot too. And uh, I didn't know all that about your history. So that's great. You shared that. And I will say this. One thing that I love about yourself is it is very obvious when um, I first met you that you walk the walk and talk the talk. And so many people in healthcare, you know, they, they talk about people being healthy and doctors want people to get healthy, but they're not healthy themselves. So that's what I love about you is you're a role model yourself. You are, um, you know, very, very healthy and, it, and, you know, it appears you eat well and you exercise and do all that good stuff. So thank you for being a good role model. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Sean. I, you know, believe you got to live it to share it, you know, in an right. Authentic way, absolutely. So, yeah, I value my health, and I work hard every day to to try to keep it in the best shape I can. Maybe so, some other time we can talk about that. But I just completed a Navy SEALs fitness challenge, by the way. I don't know if I mentioned that. Whoa! Did I tell you that when you were here? No. no. All right, we might have to get back on that. Kind of an inspirational thing. My own little David Goggins story, let's just say. But um, there's uh, people on the internet doing this Navy SEALs fitness challenge, and the idea is can you pass the minimum standards required to enter basic training for the Navy SEALs, right? And typically there's bodybuilders that do this thing and different kinds of internet fitness celebrities. They usually fail, but it's humorous as they train and as they fail, you know, and you got video of them falling down the ground after their swim or their run, <laughs> you're just gasping for air and all that. 
So anyway, I set myself a challenge. I said, I want to see if I can do the Navy SEALs fitness challenge. And the, the kicker and the key for me is I'm not an internet fitness celebrity. I'm not getting paid to work out every day. I'm not a retired professional athlete. I'm not even a retired college athlete. Okay. I'm a guy with a business, a full-time job, a mortgage, five kids, a grandkid. Okay. I'm, you know, I got a real life, but can I conceivably train and get in shape to pass a Navy SEALs fitness test at age 46? That was my goal. That was my question. Right. And if I can, how do I do it? And if I can't, what lessons did I learn along the way? So I recently completed my Navy SEALs fitness challenge. I can come back and tell you later about how that went. Bottom line. Well, okay, I, you got to tell us, did you pass? Uh, <laughs> did you qualify? I did. Yes, I did. I'm, I'm, I'm enthusiastic about that. I have to say I'm a bit proud about that. I pushed myself hard. I qualified. And in fact, I didn't want just minimum standards. So I looked at actual competitive standards because the guys have to post their scores, right? Minimum standards like to even conceivably get you in the universe, right. but competitive standard is to actually get you there, right? So I was going for competitive standard and I basically did. I got solidly competitive in three out of my five. The other two, I was really close to competitive. So I met minimums and almost got to competitive in all five and I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that. It was a good for you. Day. Awesome, I love it. Thanks, yeah, we can talk about that a different time too, but that just gets into kind of living it out and it gets into my supplements and my exercise and dealing with injuries. I had a back injury that flared up and a bunch of different things, a bunch of challenges along the way, but I, I kind of persevered and fought through it. And, you know, that was my goal for 2021 to get that done. So awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. So uh, let's go back into um, the topic we're going to discuss today yeah. and just how to raise testosterone naturally. So you, you wanted to go into some definitions and stuff first. Is that correct? I did. You know, I was a school teacher before I went to medical school. So I'm really big on, uh, you know, didactics, how to teach, how to communicate, that kind of thing. So I first want to start off just a little bit of a school teacher mode for a second to help us understand some basic terminology um, so that we can move forward effectively, right? So one of those is to understand the, the natural circuit of how testosterone is produced in males. It starts in your brain. It starts in a little gland called the um, pituitary gland. You probably have heard of this. Um, and it doesn't start with testosterone. The story actually starts uh, with something called LH, luteinizing hormone, and FSH follicular stimulating hormone. Long story short, your brain secretes those two. They go down to your testes. They stimulate the testes in turn to produce testosterone. Okay, so we have that internal circuit. Uh, that's important to understand for some reasons we'll talk about later. Um, another thing that's important to understand is that testosterone travels in different forms in the bloodstream. Okay, it's partially bound and to something called sex hormone binding globulin. It's also partially bound to something called albumin. And then it's floating free. The free testosterone is the most important. That's what's biologically active. Okay, you might ask the question, well, why don't we have 100% free testosterone everywhere then, right? The reason is we, you want it bound to carry more easily through the body, and then you want it freed up essentially at the target organ, mm -hmm. right? You don't want it acting indiscriminately everywhere along the way. So it has to do with transport uh, and delivery of testosterone where we want it. But ultimately, sex hormone binding globulin um, is a negative thing as far as if you're trying to get your testosterone levels up because the higher the sex hormone binding globulin the more of it is actually binding the testosterone and keeping it from freely dissociating and being active right so we need to understand the, the, the concept of sex hormone binding globulin we need to understand the concept of an enzyme called aromatase this is also important so aromatase is an enzyme that siphons off part of your testosterone to create estrogen so let's ask the question how does estrogen get created in men? Okay, men need estrogen as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, obviously the ratio is different, but we need estrogen. If your estrogen went to zero, you would feel crummy. 
you'd be in rough shape. Just like women need testosterone as well. If their testosterone goes to zero, they feel crummy, they're in rough shape, okay? It's just a balance. So within the natural physiology of our bodies, there's a way for men to create estrogen. How is that? We don't have ovaries. Where does our estrogen come from? Okay, the answer is we. our body takes testosterone and it siphons off a part of that testosterone to create the needed amount of estrogen. The way it siphons it off is through an enzyme called aromatase, okay? This is important to understand because if your aromatase enzymes are too active, for example, sometimes it's based on genetics, you are losing testosterone, you're ending up with a higher level of estrogen. Also, part of the aging process is that your aromatase activity tends to increase, causing a decrease in the one and an increase of the other. Um, and also, belly fat tends to have high levels of aromatase in it. So the more belly fat you're carrying, the more aromatase is active to lower your testosterone levels. So we're going to understand that in a little bit further, you know, why certain supplements, for example, help raise testosterone because they stimulate luteinizing hormone secretion in your brain or because they decrease sex hormone binding globulin levels or because they inhibit aromatase, right? Those are the ways in which certain natural substances can help boost testosterone in your body. You with me? Absolutely. Okay, great. Hopefully I haven't bored everyone too much yet. <laughs> but uh, we that, was got a great that was a great explanation for something that is very detailed. Okay, good. So we get some basic definitions here. So next thing I want to talk about is the problem, right? Before we talk about the solution, we want to define the problem well. And I think most guys have a general sense of, yeah, you know, there's a problem with testosterone. I mean, I know as I get older, uh, you know, I got a little tired that's developing around the middle and I can't work out as hard or, and as long. And maybe I don't feel as, you know, active in the bedroom. And maybe I don't wake up with, you know, morning erection like I used to when I was young. So I kind of get that my testosterone is probably falling off as I get older, right? Um, I wanted to go into that a little bit more to kind of paint the picture a little more clearly, right? So what ha what happens is the testosterone producing cells in your testes are called the Leydig cells, L-E-Y-D-I-G. And here's the problem. One testosterone producing cell in your testes dies, goes offline every four seconds, okay? This is, this is the negative. This is the cold, hard truth, right? So can you handle the truth, right? So this, this is part of the aging process and a man. I mean, one cell goes offline every four seconds. No different than women's ovaries are slowly sort of wearing out and they're going to hit menopause. The same thing is happening with guys in this sense. Um, also, as you get older, there tends to be an increase in sex hormone binding globulin production. As we just discussed, that's not good because it's binding and holding on to testosterone. And there's an increase in aromatase enzyme activity which is not good because it's siphoning off testosterone to produce estrogen. So when you put those three factors together, you have the biological basis for declining testosterone levels in men to the point that after your testosterone peaks around age 28 or 30, by the time you're 40 or 50, it's estimated to be, be down maybe 30 to 40% from that point. And by the time you're 70 to 80, it's down 75 to 80% essentially. So this is you know a downward spiral. What's interesting is, your body needs just as much testosterone at 50 as you did at 25. Your body needs just as much testosterone at 80 as you did at 25. It's just not producing it. You with me? Because how much you need is based on the fact that you're a male. It's based on your frame, you know, your height, your basic structure. And so you're, 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 you're fill out to be this structure that needs a certain amount of circulating hormone, but your testicles let you down in a sense over time with just the ravages of age and, the dying process, unfortunately, and, and things go offline. And so you don't need any less when you're older. It's just that you're not getting as much. And in that gap, 
stands a whole lot of explanation for certain things that we just accept as aging, but not necessarily need to be so. Do you have comments on that, Sean? No, I think that's great. And I think um, we could go a long ways with that when it comes to, because when it comes to traditional medical practice, um, yeah. unlike doctors that are educated like yourself, but you know, there are many, many doctors that do not believe that an 80 year old should have the same testosterone level as a 35 year old. And I can tell you what, Dr. Turner, um, when I am 80, I want to have the same level of my testosterone when I was 35 because I still have bones. I still have muscle mass. I still have a brain. I still have a heart and I want to keep Correct. that healthy. Correct. I agree. Absolutely. I I'm on board. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's a shame. I think the concept of female hormone replacement's been well developed for the most part and kind of well accepted. It's a fad, you know, bioidentical hormone replacement. And granted, there's some risk with estrogen and estrogen cancers and stuff, but by and large, it's seen as a positive thing in a safe way to replete women's hormones um, because a lot of what you can chalk up to aging need not necessarily be so, it's just hormone lack. And the yep. same thing holds true for men, but it hasn't gotten the same sort of publicity and it's sort of seen somehow in a less necessary light, but it's really not, you know, it's, it's most certainly not, you know, some of the things, um, some of the importance you hit on a few of them, right? I mean, there's obviously fat mass, muscle mass, muscle stamina, bone density, all those things will drop off as testosterone levels drop and all those can be reversed with testosterone replacement. But you hit on a couple other key ideas too. Let's talk about the heart. It's a well-known fact that the lower your testosterone is, the higher your risk of heart attacks and the more severe those heart attacks are actually. Okay, testosterone is not a negative for the heart, it's a positive for the heart. Testosterone can actually help improve lipid levels. Testosterone can actually has been shown to reverse atherosclerosis in the carotid arteries. You can do ultrasounds of people's carotid arteries and measure how much atherosclerosis is there, right? And testosterone replacement has been shown to actually thin that out. Testosterone has strong anti-inflammatory activities. That's good for the blood vessels. Testosterone um, also makes your body more sensitive to insulin, which helps lower blood sugar levels. That's also good for the cardiovascular system. So having enough testosterone is a pro for the cardiovascular system for men. And I, for example, have heart attack risk in my family. Absolutely, I want my heart as healthy and strong as possible. Let's go on. We can talk about the central nervous system. You mentioned that briefly. Testosterone has been shown to improve mood to improve uh, anxiety, and interestingly enough, to reduce the risk of Alzheimer's, okay? Testosterone actually has a role in clearing the beta amyloid protein, one of the main proteins which it, whose accumulation is involved in the creation of Alzheimer's. Testosterone helps clear that. So to keep a man's testosterone level high is the same thing as to help lower his Alzheimer's risk, improve his mood, reduce his anxiety. And in general, the way I see it with my patients, and I'm on testosterone replacement myself, the way I experience it is, there's just a sense more, more of a sense of drive, right? Uh, more of a sense of can do initiative. I don't feel like I'm gonna get sit on the couch all day and say, oh, woe is me. It's like, I wanna get up, I wanna chop some wood, I wanna go work out, I wanna make plans for my business. Uh, you know, I wanna call five friends and say hello. It's like, I'm getting something done today. You know what I mean? And uh, I feel good, you know? And it's part of, part of that uh, process for guys, very important. Well, and on the traditional medical model, let's just back up. We've discussed it a little bit already with some of the symptoms, but you know, you look at osteoporosis and, and men get osteoporosis also, just not um, usually later in life than women, but um, we look at depression. We look at erectile dysfunction you, you discuss. We look at high cholesterol. Um, 
you know, what do we do traditionally in traditional medication? We give them, we give them a statin. We give them um, Viagra, we give them Prozac, or we give them, you know, medications to treat all these symptoms, yet right. one drug, testosterone alone, can not only make those go away, but many other benefits also. Indeed, indeed. Uh, it's kind of a root cause analysis concept, right? If you can get to the root cause of something, and if you can get to something that's natural, uh, by far a better way to go. You know. There's a metaphor that's very powerful now that dominates modern medicine, and it didn't always used to be this way. And I think it's to our detriment if, if, if as we see things too much in this light. Um, and I want to share that with you. Right. And this started actually around the age of the Industrial Revolution. So the 1800s around that time, the dominant medical metaphor became a machine. OK, a machine. And the idea was the body's a machine and now things are breaking and now we have to fix these parts. So. We're watching our machine and then, oh, look, the cholesterol level went too high, we give him a statin. Oh, look, the erectile function dropped off, we give him a Viagra. Oh, look, he's depressed, we give him a Prozac. So we're watching our machine and we're fixing parts in our machine as they break down. That became the dominant medical metaphor. Before the Industrial Revolution, for the entire history of medicine up to that point, from ancient Greece to that time, that was not the metaphor. That was not the way people thought of it. Obviously, machines didn't exist for the most part, okay? They had a different mindset. And this was fascinating when I read this. I read some article in like the New York Times, some medical anthropology article, because you know I'm kind of a nerd like that. I like to just read about some of this stuff, culture, <laughs> medicine, history. I think it's cool. So here's what the deal is, Sean. The dominant medical metaphor before that time was a garden, a garden. And the idea was we planted something. If we give it all the right nutrients, if we just create the conditions for it to succeed, we're going to help it to succeed and be strong all on its own. It has inherent wisdom and capability to function at 100% fruition. We just got to get conditions right. And that's what I'm talking about here. If we get conditions right with the testosterone, let the testosterone do its job to create this beautiful you know, structure and let it flourish and be strong and healthy. Right. It's not a machine that we wait till it falls apart and we intervene on it. It's something where we get proactive to create conditions for it to be healthy. Completely different way of thinking about it. Personally, the way that I practice medicine and makes much more logical sense. I love it. Yeah, it does. It's it's about um, fixing problems, fixing the root cause instead of treating symptoms. Yeah, agreed. I want to touch something uh, as well here about the societal level, right? So we talked about as an individual, men's testosterone levels fall over time, loss of activity in the Leydig cells and all that. But as a society, there's also a problem here, right? So this was pretty striking to me. I came out some found this literature a while back. I guess this, I think this was out of John Hopkins Hospital. But essentially, they've done surveys where in the late 80s, the average male testosterone level across all ages from 20s to 70s compared to now is different, folks. And it's dramatically different. And so it's about 30% lower nowadays than it was just in the late 80s. That's pretty striking. I mean, I was alive in the late 80s. I, I was born in 75. I was 13, 14, 15 years old in the late 80s. That was me going to high school. I mean, I remember that. We're not talking ancient history. So between the time that I was starting high school and now the average male testosterone level is down 30%. That's striking, right? And there are many reasons that's thought to be so, which we can discuss, but a lot of it gets into endocrine disrupting chemicals in the environment, like BPA and the plastics, like some of the pesticides that are used. You may have heard about this. There's a pesticide called atrazine that was banned in Europe in 2004, it's still legal here. This is the one where if you expose male frogs to it, they become female frogs and they start laying eggs. I mean, that's astonishing, startling, uh, shocking, you know, 
small amounts of this chemical will turn a male frog into a fertile female frog who lays eggs. Okay, and this thing is all over our water supply and our pesticides. Absolutely. Furthermore, you may not know this. This is kind of a little a little bit of a horrifying fact in my mind too. But female birth control is in our water supply. Okay, because those female hormones are excreted in urine. That urine goes down the toilet. The, the magical system of municipal water regulation does not clear all those estrogens out. Okay, mm. it doesn't. And they're circulating in the water supply and then they compound over time because it's a recirculation process, right? Out comes the fresh water in it goes to the female's body, out comes the urine, et cetera. So it's a little, you know, uh, displeasant, uh, unpleasant to think about, but it's a fact. So there's concentrated birth control hormones in our municipal water supply. This is well known. So uh, another reason is some of the deodorants and some of the flame retardants and some of the things that are put on clothing even are so-called endocrine disruptors. So you can do a whole stream of research. World Health Organization has been promoting this over the last few years about endocrine disrupting chemicals, EDCs, and their effects on health. And it's been quite negative for male health in particular. That many of these are strong in their pro-estrogenic effects on the male body or strong in their anti androgenic or anti-testosterone effects. Well, can you talk a little bit about not just those toxins, but can you just talk about what might have changed also is our diets and does a, just a general diet in general, what we eat, does that have affect our testosterone at all? It does. Absolutely. Um, I think, well, to, to skip to the diet, actually leave that last for a second. I think maybe one change that's come about, let's say since then, is um, just overall pace of life, let's just say, and it gets into factors like sleep, it gets into factors like stress, right? And what we eat, it's not just one thing, but the overall pace of life, you know, arguably now is different, it's greater. The more technology, instead of easing our life to a degree, I think it makes it more complicated, right? And so, you know, there's just more hard driving edge to life now, I think, where people are on their devices and they feel responsibility respond to X number of emails and X number of posts on social media and X number of phone calls. And it's just constant, right? And so there's consequently, you know, a stressed out lifestyle that exhibits in different ways, less sleep, less time at the gym, more fast food, more processed food, more energy drinks, you know, more cigarettes, like anything to prop up this overstressed system of that's trying to deal with the world that's pulling at it too much, right? You can encapsulate it that way, that that our lifestyles have changed to a degree since the good old days, let's say, uh, back not so long ago uh, in that way. But to skip quickly to foods, yes, um, what, too much sugar is a negative for testosterone. This is well known. Um, so the more we have sugary processed foods, the, the, the lower the testosterone effects of that. Um, also, on the positive side, though, you want to be filling your diet with some healthy fats. So particularly monounsaturated fats. So the studies have shown, like, if you have a diet of, let's say, 30% monounsaturated fats, this is healthy for testosterone levels. So we're talking about things like nuts, olive oil, canola oil, peanut butter, you know, fish oils, things like that. Those are healthy fats. We need those to be a part of the diet. Your body needs a certain amount of fat and a certain amount of cholesterol in order to produce an adequate amount of testosterone. That is important. Now, tell us a little bit about exercise. Does exercise or lack thereof affect our testosterone levels at all? Hugely, right, like you can imagine. Um, the, the idea is that <clears throat> your body is always in a state of remodeling. It's always looking for you to give it some stimulus and some input, and mm -hmm. it will respond appropriately. 
if the only stimulus and input I give my body is that I sit it in a chair, either at work or I'm sitting in a chair in my car or I'm sitting on the sofa or my lazy boy when I'm at home or my body's laying in bed all night, what stimulus are we giving it? Right? We're not giving it a stimulus to grow strong. We're not giving it a stimulus to get work done. We're giving it basically a hibernation stimulus to get fat and to get soft. And your body will say, fine, this is what you want. This is what I will give you. I will turn down testosterone levels. I'll turn down growth hormone levels. I'll promote fat storage levels and we'll go into hibernation. You tell me that, you know, 23 hours a day, you want to be in a chair lying flat. We will remodel accordingly. Contrast that with. And I can tell you, and I can tell you, 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 you probably had, maybe you can give us an example, but, um, you know, I've, I've known men who don't go on testosterone and all they do is they change their diet and they change their, um, and they start exercising and um, their testosterone levels can raise 30 to 40% just by doing that alone. Yes, without a doubt. It's a great first place to start. Absolutely. Because it yields so many other benefits as well, right? You can get the testosterone level up 30, 40%, but now you're exercising as well. You're getting your cardiovascular exercise in there. Yeah right? You're eating better. There goes, you're decreasing your diabetes risk, your heart attack risk. You're improving blood flow to your brain, which is good for thinking, mood, like a whole bunch of spinoffs. So that's always the place to start. Absolutely. Um, but speaking of exercise, you know, on the other hand, if you say, hey, if you get up every morning and instead of drinking an energy drink and having three pancakes with syrup and butter all over them, you have, you go for a walk, and then you do 20 push-ups before your walk and 20 push-ups after your walk and, you know, 20 burpees, okay? And then you come home and you have a protein drink. What message have you just sent your body? You sent your body a message. It's time to go get work done. It's time right. to get work done. It's time to put some muscle on this frame. And it's time to be active today. And then after work, if you stop by your local gym and you do something or you go to CrossFit and you do something or you chop wood in the backyard or you throw some tires around or whatever, you do some man stuff. Again, you're sending a signal to your body. I need to get work done. I, I live in a three-dimensional world in which I need strength and I need to get work done. If you tell your body that, your body will respond. Up will go the testosterone levels, up will go the growth hormone levels, et cetera, right? So how do we send that message to our bodies? That's, that's what we're talking about. There's different ways to do that. Generally speaking, in, in terms of just to put a sound bite on it, it's, it's heavy lifting. Um, kind of for a shorter period of time. So if you're more of a gym guy, we're talking about like compound lifts that will use multiple joints at once, right? Most of you are familiar with that if you're a gym type person. So we're talking about like squats, Olympic lifts, deadlifts, um, you know, clean and jerks, things like that. Um, mm -hmm. Push press, uh, thrusters, this kind of thing, as opposed to sitting in a machine and, you know, doing this or doing bicep curls or something. We Basically, you need to be standing on your own two feet free and you need to be lifting something heavy. And if you do about three sets of maybe five to six reps of that, now we're talking a testosterone type of workout, okay? And this is important too. If you're truly looking to, to boost your testosterone, you don't wanna be working out too long or too hard, okay? So let's just ask the question, does exercise boost testosterone levels? The answer is that's a trick question. Okay, because if you do the types of things that I talked about that are compound movements that are intense for shorter periods of time, yes. If you go on a two-hour run, no, right? 
if you know that will exhaust your body you're actually your right. testosterone levels are lower so you know your triathletes people like that that's all fine god bless them their cardiovascular you know exertion is great their vo2 max is great but those people don't walk around with high testosterone levels because it's just too much of a prolonged exertion going on and hormonally things things get thrown out of balance cortisol levels go up um it's not purely an anabolic stimulus to use that word right so does exercise boost testosterone levels yes if it's short and intense and you give enough time for rest and recovery that's what we're talking about well and that's one of the reasons why all endurance athlete and i'm an endurance athlete myself and um all endurance athletes i tell them it's strength training strength training strength training you've got to get your gym work in um and you know you don't want to have atrophy you don't want to have sarcopenia later in life and the more lean body mass you can build i don't care what anybody says about oh well if you have lean body mass it makes you slower as a runner and all that kind of stuff you have a bigger upper body well um i prefer to be healthy and live a long life healthy life so the more lean body mass you can build that includes upper body all of your muscles the better yes absolutely i mean what muscle is not important in your body I mean, let's just ask that question. Well, I, I used to, just to let you know, I used to be a bench presser, competitive bench presser. Uh -huh. And then I went to a, um, now I'm a cross country mountain bike racer. So I'm more of an endurance athlete. And I will tell you, and then some people argue this, the pec muscles are pretty non-functional as a human. Uh -huh. I mean, they're not, how often do you really do this? And that's why really the only time you develop your pecs usually is when you're in the gym. I'm not saying that's not good, but I mean, if you want to comment on that, I would appreciate your commentary. <laughs> ah, well, sure. I, I'm talking just real generally, right? I mean, my idea is what muscle is unimportant in your body. If it's there, yes. it has a function, right. right? Right. And if it has a function, we need to optimize this function, right? So, right. Um, you know, every muscle is important. So I'm saying that, let's say in contrast to say an endurance athlete that says, well, upper body is not that important. Well. It's there for a reason, you know. The, God gave you a pec muscle for a reason. It's going to come into play sometime or another, I promise. Right. You might be pushing luggage into the overhead compartment or something, you know, carrying your grandkid, you know, carrying your <laughs> wife somewhere. Something's going to happen where you got to engage your upper body. So, you want to hear a funny story? Go ahead. Tell me. I have a twin brother, and he's a bodybuilder, power lifter. Uh, so completely opposite of me, right? Uh, and we were mountain biking one time, downhill mountain biking, and he was going to crash. And he got stuck between two trees, so he 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 put his arms out and he grabbed the trees to stop himself. Seriously. And he goes, yeah. And he says, see, that's why we need pec muscles, Sean. Pecs are functional muscles. Because <laughs> 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 it saved him from crashing. Nice. <laughs> you know, he went like this. <laughs> exactly. Nice. The ultimate eccentric chest fly. Huh? Right. <laughs> Anyway, oh, I digress. We digress. So, um, yeah, so let's get into some more ways. So then how, what can people do? Exercise, diet is important. So what are some other t tips to give where people can increase their testosterone naturally? Let's, let's go back to one of my most important ones, which is sleep. Um, I work with a lot of men. I have a men's health program. It's on my website. You can read about it, michaelturnermd.com. There's a whole section about men's health. But besides... The men's health that I do, I work with, you know, women, people of all ages and, and uh, problems on rehabilitating them. I work with a lot with fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue. And the reason I mention all that is a common denominator for all that is 
when I talk about getting people healthy, when I use the metaphor of a garden and talk about wellness, I always start with sleep. It is profound in its effects, including on the hormonal system, right? So for example, the simple, simple concept is the longer you are asleep, the higher your testosterone will be the next morning. This is a proven fact. Your testosterone is typically highest first thing in the morning. The longer your night of sleep, the higher that level is. They've shown this in a lot of different ways. But for example, they had one study I was reading where men who slept on average about eight hours compared men who slept five hours. You look at the difference in their morning testosterone. It was double. All right, Sean, it was double. The guys who were getting eight hours of sleep had double that morning testosterone of the guys who were getting five hours. So simple enough the longer you are sleeping the higher your testosterone is and then it tends to drop off as you go through the day right you're you're exercising you're you're doing a lot of different things your level kind of slowly depletes and then it replenishes overnight so it's one of those important parts of uh of replenishment and rejuvenation involved with a good night's sleep so i think this is a big place to start for a lot of people most people aren't getting high quality sleep right they're either they're getting up at three, four in the morning or something because their 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 job or they're working shift work, right? Or they're getting up at two, three times a night to use the restroom, or the dog's in bed with them and they're subconsciously getting kicked by the dog and moving around all the time. Or they've got sleep apnea that's undiagnosed and they're really not getting good at respiration at night. Or they're using a CPAP machine, which is still making a lot of noise and you're still not sleeping restfully under those circumstances, right? Like there's a million reasons why, but most people are not getting the high quality sleep that they need to. And if they could just solve that problem, that alone would cause an uptick in their testosterone. Well, speaking of sleep, um, we talk often about it on our podcast. In fact, we had a, we've had a couple shows just dedicated to sleep. And this is what I tell people is that there are really three things that we can do to keep our bodies healthy in general. Mm-hmm. And that's eat, exercise, and sleep. Right. And of the most important of those is sleep. We will die without sleep before we'll die without food. That's mm-hmm. a fact. Right. You know, uh, most of us could live without food for 30 days. You, we can't live without sleep for more than three to five days and we will die. Right. So sleep is so important. And when do we get stronger? We, we don't get stronger when we work out. We don't get stronger right. when we eat. Those are both important. We get stronger when we sleep. That's when we recover. So sleep is so important. Agreed. Hugely important. Yes, that's a primary way to start. Um, one of the other things to mention then in terms of boosting testosterone naturally, besides the sleep, besides the exercise part, the eating healthy, um, would be trying to lose some of your belly fat, right? So we talked about this a little bit earlier when I mentioned the aromatase enzyme. This is highly concentrated in abdominal fat. So the more abdominal fat, the more aromatase enzyme, the more your testosterone is siphoned off to produce estrogen. So simply losing your belly fat all by itself will help boost your testosterone levels. In fact, there's some data that I found where they estimate that for every one point increase in your BMI, okay, um, it's about a 2% decrease in testosterone. So there's a two to one negative effect as your BMI points go up, your testosterone percentages would drop. So this is notable as well. I want to mention a couple other things too. So one of them is reducing stress. This is a big deal. One of your main stress hormones is cortisol. You probably have heard of it. If you're chronically under stress, your cortisol levels are high. Does cortisol affect testosterone? Yes, in a very negative way, in in several different ways, not just one wave, but in several different ways, high cortisol levels will decrease your testosterone. This is one reason why really extreme prolonged exercise will also decrease your testosterone, right? Again, if you imagine a heavy 
a, a run, you know, a two hour run up in the mountains or some extraordinary type of workout, if you're overtraining or overworking out so hard, your body's getting along towards the end of that workout on pure stress hormones. It's in, almost in a flight or fight, you know, phenomenon that you place your body at that point. So cortisol's high, epinephrine's high, norepinephrine's high, and you're just burning through every fuel system possible and putting your body in this fuel burning and catabolic state to try to output energy to deal with the demands of it, which is all fine and good, but that's not a pro on your testosterone at all. That's not a pro on putting your body in that mass building, resting, you know, augmentation right. state that we would want. So too high cortisol, whether it's from overtraining or from simply stressful lifestyle is a negative on testosterone. So whatever you can do to bring your stress down, We'll bring the cortisol levels down and we'll help you. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention is DHEA. I know you know about mm -hmm. this, John. Many people may or may not know about that. This is pretty fascinating. DHEA is a hormone, okay? And it's a biologically active hormone. What's interesting, though, is that it's available as a supplement, okay? It's available as an over-the-counter vitamin or supplement, but it's a biologically active hormone. And this was known and only in the field of endocrinology for most of the you know, last century, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, you had to go to an endocrinologist. They may or may not check your DHEA level. They may give you some, okay? In, I believe it was the mid to late 90s, they figured out how to chemically synthesize DHEA from a yam. They found this yam in Mexico. This is from what I understand. And they figured out that they could do some chemistry on this yam. And in one or two steps, they got biologically active DHEA. And then they, they figured out, they kind of shoehorned it in as a vitamin supplement because it's, you know, nutritional food product-esque concept. And so they started to get sold this thing over the counter. So in the 90s, you may remember this, Sean. I was young at the time, but I still do remember this, that DHEA was kind of the rage. There are all these books. You could go to Walmart and buy a paperback book about DHEA. It was like this new hormone, and you could get it over the counter. And it was kind of considered the fountain of youth that did all this healthy stuff. And there's, you know, pictures in there of like old guys, you know, getting back out golfing again and, you know, getting frisky in the bedroom again and going back to the gym and lifting weights. Like people were all into getting their DHEA up, right? What's, what's really interesting is that it's, it's remained helpful. It's remained a great concept. It never went away. We just have a short attention span. So there's a short news cycle, right? So we kind of had to move on and we moved on from DHEA and then moved on to like growth hormone and testosterone and SARMs and other things. But the original reason for being excited about DHEA never went away. Frankly, it's very important, very helpful. So DHEA is a supplement that I start almost all my men on. Um, I like to get their levels up. I check their levels. Most men have it suboptimal. If I check a level on a guy, it's usually 80, 100, 150, something like that. Scientifically defined, I want it up around four or 500. That's where you optimize. So DHEA is a big player. DHEA, part of that gets used to create testosterone in your body. Chemically, it's one or two steps uh, away from actual testosterone. So if you give DHEA, part of it goes down to create testosterone, but it does a lot of other helpful things in the body. I don't have time to talk about it all right now, but does healthy things for the immune system, um, has anti-cancer properties, does really good things for your brain. Um, so it's a potent supplement, partly to reduce, to improve testosterone, but partly in many other ways for people too. Yeah, I, I echo that 100%. I mean, most any man that has low testosterone is going to need DHEA also because they have low DHEA. And, you know, DHEA not only supports that, but it has some adrenal function properties where it helps to support the adrenal the adrenal glands and, you know, mood and things like that. So DHEA is very, very important. And it's, it's over the counter and relatively inexpensive. Absolutely. Yes, I'm a big fan of that. I think finally to 
to come to the parts of boosting testosterone naturally, there are certain supplements that can be helpful. Um, and I want to hit on those. I actually want to underemphasize those, okay, in comparison to everything else. So mm -hmm. the biggest points have been the, the exercise, right, training your body that it's meant to be doing work and that you're making demands of it, especially with heavier lifting, shorter duration, not overtraining, healthy fats, getting good sleep, losing the belly fat, reducing cortisol and stress. Okay, these are the heaviest hitting concepts. I think sometimes we're looking for like that magic supplement that's gonna like do wonders for our testosterone level and it doesn't exist. No. Okay. The benefit from the supplements is mild compared to the benefit of everything I just mentioned. As you noted yourself, you've had guys lose weight, start lifting, eat better, and their testosterone will go up 30, 40%, something yeah. like that. Very, very true. Um, some of these supplements, the best you're gonna see is maybe 10, 20% increase, something like that. And oftentimes only if you're deficient in them. But nevertheless, I wanna mention that. So I'd say a couple of the most prominent would be zinc, magnesium, vitamin D. So those are some of the most prominent. There's a lot of research about those. The kicker is it's only if you're deficient, right? So if you're zinc deficient, then yes, zinc will help boost your testosterone levels. If you have adequate zinc levels, it's not gonna do anything, right? Same thing with magnesium, if you're deficient, it's known to increase your testosterone. Same thing, vitamin D. If you're deficient, it's known to increase your testosterone. Now, granted, magnesium is the most common mineral deficiency. Um, sometimes people aren't getting enough sunlight. They're not on supplements. So one or more of those might be off. And it's worth checking with your doctor, getting those tested. That's something that I can do for people, for example. But if you're deficient, getting your zinc, your magnesium, your vitamin D, those are three heavy hitters that will be known to help raise your testosterone. Beyond that, um, I was doing some reading just in preparation for this podcast. So pomegranate, I came across some good information about pomegranate. I didn't know that pomegranate extract. They were talking about this raising testosterone levels by up to 20, 24% on a standardized extract. I think it was 400 milligrams a day, but I'm sure you can look that up. Um, and that was after about two weeks. And it's that's thought to function as an aromatase inhibitor. Again, that's the enzyme that siphons off part of your testosterone to create estrogen, therefore to inhibit that enzyme is a positive for raising testosterone levels. So pomegranate extract has some activity as an aromatase inhibitor. And the other thing is fish oil. I'm a big fan of fish oil. Mm -hmm. It can help increase testosterone levels because it lowers the levels of sex hormone binding globulin, which we mentioned earlier. But fish oil I love because of all the other benefits it has for the body, from the brain to the cardiovascular system to reducing inflammation, et cetera. So those are two of some of my faves as well. So I'm not trying to surprise you with any questions, but uh, and yes. you might not have researched this at all. Um, I'm first of all, I'm with you. I think um, the supplements to raise testosterone are the are the last thing you do um, because you're going to get the 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 biggest bang for your buck for doing the sleep and the exercise and things like that first. Um, but you know, we hear a lot about tribulus. Are are you familiar with tribulus? Yes, to a degree, I am. Yes. Can you comment on it? You know, last time I looked, it, it was mixed. There was a mixed bag. There was mixed data on that. Um, I was on it for a period of time myself, maybe about 10 years ago. I tried it. I was actually in med school. I read about tribulus. I was like, oh, boy, this stuff sounds like it's going to do good things for my testosterone. I checked my testosterone before and after. Didn't budge at all. All right. So <laughs> right. I kind of personally fell out of favor with it at that point. But me checking over the years, that's been my latest you know, summary statement is that it's a mixed bag. It's not uh, a strong a, a strong pro thumbs up on that. Yeah. And another one, horny goat weed. Any research on that one? 
similar. I, it, it's mixed. I've not found that to be compelling. Yeah. Um, I, in that same category, I would put things like Tongat Ali. If you've heard about that, T O N. I have not heard about that one though. Yeah, T O N G A T A L I. Tongat Ali. It's an herb that comes out of Southeast Asia, I believe. Um, and then there's a herb called Coleus um, that I was reading about too. But that's it's mixed. That's not so compelling. Um, any of those. So it's a possibility, maybe a little farther down the line, but it's mixed. What ends up happening typically with these is some nutraceutical company will get a hold of something that's going to be the next big thing, right? And they find this thing, let's say from folk medicine from Southeast Asia, like, you know, some herbs, tribulus or tongkat ali or something like that. And the locals take it and it's supposed to help with libido and testosterone or whatever. So they want to, they want to figure out, does this thing work? And they want to promote it. Fair enough. They do some type of small study um, and it shows some promise. Then they start marketing the heck out of this study. And so now it's in the bodybuilder magazines or other popular press. And, you know, they're selling you the bottle of XYZ herb from somewhere, horny goat weed or whatever. And it's, it's supposed to do all these things. And so people start. And then a little bit later, third party, let's say disinterested third-party researchers start to say, well, is this, is this something or not? Typically at an academic institution, right? Some grant from National Institutes of Health filters down to some organization that says, let's actually study horny goat weed in a little more detail. Or let's actually right. study TRIB or something. And at that point, with a higher level of science being applied to it, with more robust studies, better controls, et cetera, it usually looks not that great, okay? And then that happens maybe two or three more times, and then it's sort of it, it puts the nail in the coffin or ca it casts enough dust on the matter that it's not looking so shiny. Right. And that's where, a and that's the life cycle. That's where a lot of these hang out. Unfortunately, sometimes the companies are still so dead set on promoting the original idea that it's, it's out, it's trying to outlive its new scientific update, which is a much more negative uh, connotation. Right. And sometimes people are paid to continue to promote the stuff. And sometimes it lives on in blogs or whatever. So, there's always this new thing coming out because it's a big market because guys realize their testosterone is low. They want to replete it. They don't want to necessarily go to their doctor. They don't necessarily want to take an injection. They want to go down to GNC and get something that's going to increase their testosterone. So what does GNC have to offer me this week? And GNC is always going to put something out new and shiny and they're going to charge you 70 bucks for the bottle that they probably manufactured for 75 cents, hmm. you know, yeah. and, it's got a little bit of promising data in a, from somewhere, and they're going to hype that thing for as long as the product cycle can last. That's anyway. right. So um, one thing I want to, you know, just conclude with this is that, you know, even if you are using taking testosterone exogenously per prescription, um, the things we discussed today are still important, very important. Um, you know, testosterone, exogenous testosterone, or if you, if you are on testosterone, um, prescribed testosterone, those other things are still very, very important. Testosterone is just a piece of the puzzle. You don't magically take testosterone and you just get healthy. You still have to lift heavy things. You still have to eat right. You still have to sleep. Um, uh, hormones are just a piece of the puzzle. Indeed. Yeah. It's just a piece of the overall wellness puzzle. Yep. Mm -hmm. So as we wind this podcast up, Dr. Turner, um, thank you so much um, for all your wealth of knowledge today. You have really helped realize our goal on this podcast, which is to educate and empower people to take charge of their own health. So thank you so much for that. 
Um, I just got a question for you. What do you have a passion for? I think it really came out in today's presentation, but go ahead and tell me what do you have a passion for? Sure. There, there's different ways to put it, but I have a passion for living healthy and encouraging other people to do the same, to put a phrase on it. You know, I, I feel like my life's a gift from God. I'm excited every day to be alive. Um, the, just the way our cells function, one single cell is a miracle. I mean, the closer you look at it, it's amazing how much is going on just in one cell. And the fact that we have trillions of ourselves working together in our body and the fact that we're conscious and we have emotions and we can appreciate beauty. You know, I mean, it's astonishing. We're living yeah. this gift of life is unbelievable. If, if, if it didn't exist, we couldn't recreate it. I mean, you go to the moon, life's not there. It's a big rock. You go to earth, we got all these life forms, you know, and we're one of them and we get to participate in it. I mean, the greatest gift is our health without a doubt, the greatest asset. And so I'm committed to be as healthy as I can be. I'm in love with the feeling, Sean, of how healthy could I actually feel? What would it feel like to be as healthy as possible for Michael Turner, age 46, right? I'm not trying to be 25. I can't. That's okay. I'm not trying to be Sean. Somebody else has got different genetics. That's okay. I just want the best Michael Turner health that I can get at my age. What would that feel like? Am I there yet? If I am, how awesome is that? And if I'm not, how do I get there, right? So I'm I'm hung up on that if you could say to be as healthy as possible and derive the benefits from that and then i just share my enthusiasm with other people and share my tips along the way from whatever it is i pull in from natural medicine traditional medicine science nutrition it doesn't matter try to get other people healthy because it's quite about quality of life in the end you know if you don't have your health you don't have a quality of life you can have more money in the bank you know what to do with it doesn't matter i mean i think it's steve jobs right what would he rather have, money in the bank or getting rid of his pancreatic cancer? Right. You know, and unfortunately, the man passed away in his mid-50s, pancreatic cancer. And he was a genius. That's a loss to mankind, honestly. I, I feel sad. You know, when somebody yeah. can have as much creative flair and be a visionary and start a company like that that's worldwide, that's a beautiful thing. We need to appreciate that in some way. And we lost him prematurely. Right. But, you know, your health is the most important asset in the final analysis. So I have a passion for that, for educating and encouraging people. I think. I'm kind of like one part Tony Robbins, you know, one part <laughs> doctor, one part, you know, uh, you know, athletic trainer, one part teacher. There's a whole lot of hats that I wear and I try to bring together, but that's that's just me. Yeah. So what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? My website's the best way, michaelturnermd.com. Uh, you'll you'll you can book an appointment with me directly online through there. You can send us uh, an email, you can call, there's a little function you can drop a message in and securely sends us an email. So yeah, michaelturnermd.com would be the way and we'll be happy to get in touch. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again, Dr. Turner. Um, we're going to have you on again. So uh, listeners and viewers, please stay tuned for uh, more uh, of this from Dr. Turner because we could talk for hours about this. I love I love that he walks the walk, talks the talk, and I just love um, you know, how he presents and, and um, how he's really educating and empowering patients. So I, I love that. Speaking of educating and empowering patients, Thursday, tune into our podcast. It will be uh, 8 to 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And we will have Chris Habig on. He is from Freedom Health Networks. And he is going to specifically talk about how to educate and empower patients to navigate our healthcare system. So I'm super excited to have him on. And as always, you can tune in every Monday, 1230 to 1.30, um, Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you, Dr. Turner. And thank you, everybody, for listening and watching. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sean.